Welcome to Midlife Mastery. I'm Brock Edwards, and of course, this show is all about ideas, information, inspiration for playing bigger and creating an amazing second half of life. Now, I started this podcast not because I'm an expert who knows how to create a great midlife, but because I wanted to find out how. I realized I wasn't necessarily where I wanted to be in several fronts of my life, and I really didn't know how to do 50 and beyond. I didn't agree with what I was hearing from society. I wasn't really ready to wind down. I wanted to find ways to play bigger, do better, move the world, really hit my stride because I don't think I've hit that yet. And so on today's episode, I'm talking with Sam Rice and Sam is a midlife nutritionist and she's the author of The Midlife Method, How to Lose Weight and Feel Great After 40. Now, this isn't a diet book. She is focused on sustainable long-term health and wellness. And in this episode, she discusses how our bodies are changing in midlife, and more importantly, what we can do about it. How do we keep food from being the enemy? The importance of improving and focusing on our gut health and the importance of strength training. So we cover, cover a lot of ground there and Sam has a really interesting story. And so we talk a bit about her own journey and how she went on to become a published author. Now, this is her second book, in fact. And she shares some great thoughts for those wanting to change direction with their careers, particularly going into a creative field. So give it a listen. Love to hear what you think. Let's get started. Well, welcome to Midlife Mastery Podcast. Of course, I'm Brock Edwards. And today we have Sam Rice on. And Sam, well, first off, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, well, you can probably tell by the British accent that I'm not in the States, <laughs> recording with, with, with you in person. So I'm from the UK. I'm, I'm going to say a midlife nutritionist, although I do wear quite a lot of different hats. The latest one being a food uh, writer, food and health writer. And I'm currently in Singapore, which is another long story, which I will get around to telling you. So like I said, I've worn quite a few hats. I started out working as a management consultant for Accenture way back when, when I left university in the early 90s. That was fairly short-lived and the corporate life didn't really suit me too well. So my husband and I decided to uh, do that thing that people say you shouldn't do, which is kind of turn your hobby into your business. And so we set up a ski company and that was late 90s. And that's actually still going strong. So my bread and butter really is from the travel industry, from the ski company, but I'm no longer involved in that company. My husband runs that. And that's been kind of challenging, as you can imagine, in the pandemic, running a travel company. So that could be a whole different podcast altogether. <laughs> and what else have I done? Oh, I re- I then retrained to be a, a sommelier. I did. I went back to school and studied for three years to uh, wine. And my whole plan was to be a wine buyer and write about wine. So I set off on that path. But as we all know, in midlife, things can get a bit derailed from time to time. So my next <laughs> reinvention was as a health food writer. So there's a few twists and turns in the tale. But what I'm here to talk about today is actually my latest book, which is called The Midlife Method, How to Lose Weight and Feel Great After 40. So yeah, that's it in a nutshell. But I'm very happy to elaborate on little bits of that story here and there, if that would be interesting to your listeners. Well, you know, for me, it certainly highlights the, there, there's a myth out there that we tell our kids that our kids get that, you know, you, you go to school and you go to your career and that's what you do for the rest of your life. And I have met literally almost no one in midlife doing what they set off to do when they were 18. 
And there, there may be a few out there. I'm not saying they don't exist, but most of the people, most of the people who are successful and enjoying what they do, they, they evolved over time. They, they found different paths and, and built on them as they went. And so, so I love those stories. And, but I do yeah. have to ask, is skiing still fun? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, skiing, skiing is a non-negotiable in our life and our family. So, yeah, I mean, skiing is the thing. Most of my life revolves around being fit and healthy for skiing so that I can do it for as long as I can, because I actually stopped playing tennis because I started feeling it was putting too much pressure on my knees and I wanted to keep them for skiing. So that is definitely still my top priority, although sadly I haven't been able to do it for a couple of years now. Well, you know, and I ask because I think that there is there are a few quicker ways to take the fun out of a hobby than to make a business out of it. Well, that's uh, exactly what my dad said when I left <laughs> when I left Accenture. <laughs> he said, "What are you doing, leaving this very well paid job to go off and set up a ski company?" And that was always the thing he said: "Don't turn your hobby into your job." And that's exactly what I did. So I suppose the lesson there is: don't always listen to what your parents have to say. <laughs> well, we won't tell my kids that. No, but, no, no, no. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's it, now my my wife. So I, you know, a little bit of experience here. I set off at one point in my life. I wanted to be a mechanic. I worked as a mechanic. I discovered that I much more enjoy being a mechanic as a hobby than as a career. That led to other other career paths. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she has spent her entire life, entire career in the equestrian world. And training horses, running barns, those sorts of things. And one of the things that, you know, she will be happy to tell people is that just because it's the dream job doesn't mean every day is a good day. That is definitely, that (laughs) is definitely true. I think also when you hit midlife, I mean, I sort of, I quite often see it as a bit of a locker room moment where, you know, your life might have taken a certain path and some of that might have been in your control, some of it maybe not in control. If you've had kids, that will have certainly occupied you probably for most of your 30s and early 40s and then suddenly you have this lockery moment you head in there and you're like right how's the rest of this game gonna look and I think that's really something that I have experienced and the more people I talk it it, it, ha- it can happen anytime in midlife it doesn't necessarily happen when you hit 40 you know <laughs> for most people it can be more like in their early 50s perhaps their kids are leaving home and you get this big shift and a little bit of space to have a bit of a rethink and that's I think that's where my most conscious kind of reinvention happened because obviously I'd done all these things like I'd worked for Accenture I set up a ski company I'd gone to wine school but those are all things that I kind of when I look back, just sort of happened. Of course, decisions were involved, but it felt like just, it just kind of happened. It just progressed. And then when I got into the health stuff, that was definitely a choice. That was a conscious decision because basically what happened was, so this was back in 2012. My, I'm from a big family. I'm, I'm one of seven children. And my youngest brother, Ben, sadly died from type one diabetes. And my dad had died from a heart attack several years previously. So two big sort of things happened. And the culmination for me of those experiences, well, I guess quite often it's a catalyst, isn't it? With something tragic happens in your life, it can be a catalyst for change. It happens to quite a lot of people. Certainly happened to me. And actually writing, quite often when you look at the kind of books I guess you could put my book in the category of self-help to a certain degree. And when you read a lot of these kind of books, you'll find the authors 
have written them because something has happened to them. And, and, and they've used it almost as a, a form of therapy or they've used that experience to kind of change their life and they want to write about it. And that's sort of what happened. Say so this is 2012. Kids were still quite young, taking up a lot of our sort of conscious time and energy, and we just decided to make a change. So we were living in the south of England, running our ski company, and we were like, okay, we need we need to take a time out. We want to do a sabbatical with the kids. Again, I think that's a common feeling for a lot of people to try and have some kind of experience with their kids when they're young. And so we we took it to an extreme, really, and decided to move to Bali in Indonesia. <laughs> so we um, reorganized the business. Initially, we were only going to go for a year, have some different experiences. You know, I was 42 at the time, my husband as well. Seemed like a great, great idea. And off, off we set, put the kids into school out there. And um, we ended up staying five years. So it, it definitely was the thing that we needed to do. But it did mean for myself giving up what I was doing, which was my wine stuff. And so, I, again, it was one of these midlife reinventions. What am I going to do now? I'm on... Bali, which is great, but really it's just beaches and bars, and there's not really much call for a sommelier. Certainly, <laughs> certainly the wine scene in Bali is, is is not known for it. Put it that way. So I kind of got into the food scene because the food scene in Bali, on the other hand, is fantastic, and it's not really something. You know, I'd, we'd ha- I'd had this big tragic experience. I had this wake up call, essentially about health, because. My brother, you know, unfortunately, he'd been robbed of his health and it made me think I really need to start looking after myself. So I'd had this realisation and I was in the perfect place to do it because Bali is all about health and wellness. And I was suddenly surrounded by it and I thought, wow, I'm in, I'm in no better place to be than to do this thing. And I started off just doing it for myself as a consumer. So I just wanted to improve my own health. No intention of writing any books about it, no intention of studying anything to do with nutrition, just to get myself fit and well up, up here in my head, also in my body, lose, lose the weight I've been trying to lose for most of my adult life without much success. And yeah, that was that was really that's a long-winded way of saying, yeah, actually, <laughs> midlife can be a real time for reinvention. And I guess I was fortunate that all those circumstances came together. But it, it's, I think in some ways, although you sort of think you, you can look back on it and say, oh, well, it was just a series of decisions. There wasn't, you know, there was no end game. I think that subconsciously there quite often is an end game even though you might not be aware of it. And so now when I look back, I can see, oh yeah, I just I just really needed to do these things. I needed to do these things to myself and I just needed the catalyst to do it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I've ended up. And now I'm two books in. So The Midlife Method is my second book. And uh, yeah, it's all the, the whole publishing story. I'm very happy to tell you about that if people be interested in how somebody goes from just sitting on a beach in Bali to being a published author. Well, anyone can do that, right? That's what they would show in the Instagram ads, like you on the beach anywhere with your laptop and uh, next thing you have a book. No, of course it doesn't work that way. So how does it work? No, it doesn't work that way. Well, I suppose actually, and this this is probably a bit of kind of advice I would give anyone who's thinking about needing a change in direction or wanting to do something new, particularly if it's in the creative field is that it's really good to just start networking and surrounding yourself with people who are maybe a bit further down the path than you. So I 
was in Bali. I was eating all this lovely food. I was thinking, this is great. I'm feeling great. You know, I want to tell people about this. And then a friend came to visit me. She came out. We've known each other for years. Our kids are at school together. And she's she's a writer. She's a journalist. And she's quite well known in the UK. She's called Mimi Spencer. And she came out and she was saying, oh, you know, now she, I think she, at the time she was maybe 47. I was 45, something like that. And she said, oh, I, I need a project. I'm a bit bored. I was like, yeah, I need a project. I'm a bit bored. And she was like, well, let's think of something to do together. So she was in Bali for a week and we put our heads together and we sort of thought, well, actually, the food here is really great. We're really loving it. She'd already written one book. Actually, I think actually she'd written three books in the nutrition field, but one that was did really, really well. And I said to her, I think your, I think the recipe book that you did was great. Why don't you do another one? And she said, well, why don't we do one together? And I was like, okay, well, great. Actually, it wasn't, it wasn't even a book at that stage. We just thought we might do a blog. We might just do a food blog based on nice, fresh, healthy recipes for midlifers. Cause we really felt in midlife, our palates had changed. Like what we wanted to eat had changed quite a bit from what we were eating in our thirties. We did want to eat more of this fresh plant-based stuff rather than the kind of the heavy carb-based stuff we'd eaten in our 30s and you know, when when we had these extreme energy requirements of having young children. So we thought maybe we'll just work up some recipes, put them on a blog, see where we go. And But I, I suppose my the point I'm trying to make is she was further down the line in this process. So I could learn a lot from her. So if there's anyone who's thinking, oh, I'd really like to set up a blog, or I really want to do some writing, or whatever, whatever field it is you think that you might want to go into, just kind of try and seek out people who are doing that already. <laughs> and then you can leapfrog along quite a long way. And so, yeah, I learned a lot from her. And so what we did was we put our heads together on this idea for the midlife. It was called the Midlife Kitchen, the first book. And we just brainstormed that. She went back to England. I, I stayed in Bali and we just started thinking, okay, well, let's put some recipes together. And then very quickly, we thought, this is this is a book. This, this could be a, a cookbook. There's nothing out there. There's no other cookbook that is specifically for midlifers out there that really looks at midlife nutrition and what's changing in our bodies and what our nutritional requirements are and addresses the changing palate. So we literally put together an email. We, we got our three favorite cookbooks off the shelf. We looked to see who was the agent for those people, those writers. We found out the email addresses of the, those companies. We sent an email to three agents with the proposal, the book proposal that we prepared for Midlife Kitchen. We sent it off to them and with half within half an hour, they'd all come back and said, yeah, we want to meet you. So obviously what we had hit upon is an idea that publishers thought would fly and I think that was really the key because quite often particularly when you're writing books you can have an idea that you think is great because it's your idea and you think it's great but publishers have a very different perspective on what's great and where they think there's an actual commercial niche and we had hit on one because it was really like I say it was one of the first midlife books out there and I don't know if this is the same in the States, but the midlife rebranding was only just starting to happen. So before that, it had been middle-aged, which had quite, I, I guess, is a pejorative term, really, wasn't it? If no one wanted to describe themselves as middle-aged. And we'd moved into this new era of midlife, which 
has much more positive con connotations. And I don't know if that transition has also happened in the States as well. You know, I, I would agree with that. I do think that middle-aged, at least perhaps maybe for our generation, when we were growing up and heard middle-aged, that was the old people, right? And that was kind of one step away from retirement for, or the old folks home. And that is, of course, not who people in midlife are. And so, but I think that distinction holds true here as well. Yes. And interestingly, when we were pitching the book, so to carry on the story, these agents came back, we we met them all. Um, this was pre-pandemic. So I happened to be in London at the time. So that was handy. And they said, yeah, we, we think this, this is a strong enough idea. And eventually we did get a book deal for that book. And that was the start of it. And it's, it was interesting. The publish the publisher we went for was the one who would embrace the midlife in the title, because some of the people we spoke to wanted it to be the anti aging kitchen. The this and we and we felt well, it's not anti aging. It's pro aging. This book is is a pro aging uh, work. You know that's our central intent in the book is that people embrace aging. So we don't want anti aging to appear anywhere in this book. And we feel that people are ready to accept midlife. Like it's the kind of thing you shouldn't be embarrassed to have on your cookbook shelf. <laughs> so the publisher who understood that was the one that we went for. And they could, un they could see that actually we were entering this new world where midlife was actually quite a cool place to be. And actually now... If you read any of the UK press, I mean, I write for the Daily Telegraph in the UK, which is one of the main broadsheet papers there. And if you look now at a lot of the content, particularly in the health and fitness section, I'd say the majority of it is focused on midlife health. So really? I think they've suddenly realized what an incredibly huge potential market this is. Like I say, rather than being written off in midlife and not no longer being relevant, which was the case, I think, in our parents' generation you know, you got to midlife, you were kind of seen as a bit useless and invisible. And that just absolutely is not the case any longer. And so I feel that we were really lucky with our timing there to kind of hit the beginning of that transition. And then what happened after that book, that book was a Sunday time bestseller, and it did really, really well. And after that, there was just an absolute avalanche of midlife stuff came out. Um, and <laughs> I mean, I feel I feel quite proud of the fact that actually we were slightly ahead of that curve. You know, it was it was quite an exciting time to be involved in this whole midlife area. Now, you know, there's podcasts like yourself doing podcasts on midlife. There's all kinds of books coming out. There's discussions. Quite a lot of it actually is focused on women. And that's why I like the fact with what you're doing is is not specific to women because a lot of it can be focused on menopause and all this kind of thing which is important and I do to obviously talk about that a lot in my book but midlife happens to men and women and men can have similar challenges with their weight and their mood and all kinds of things that that women experience in midlife as well so I felt it was important that my book, my new book, The Midlife Method, isn't totally just focused on what women are going through. And it also acknowledges that it can be quite a transitional time for men as well. Let's talk about that a little bit, because it sounds like the UK is ahead of the US, at least in my perception of, you know, midlife being kind of that cool reinvention time. I still see 
vestiges of it's, you know, we're just waiting for you to go retire time. You know, you're irrelevant now. So I love that. I, I love that that wave will, will be coming here as well and building as it goes. But here's kind of the, the interesting thing or something I find interesting about midlife is it is, it's not a time, at least for me, it's not time to return to my 20s. I did 20, 20 was great. I don't want to do 20 again. I want to do 50, great. I want to do 60, great. I want to do 70, great, you know? And while mentally I can feel like I haven't even hit my prime yet, you know, I'm still building momentum. There are still some realities, you you know, physically I can't, I don't recover as quickly as I did when I was 20. I'm stronger now probably than when I was 20, but I don't recover as quickly. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, your taste change, what I can get away with eating and not feeling terrible is I, I don't have the tolerance I used to have for some foods. And so, you know, when we hit this midlife, I, I guess I'm not wanting to deny that. I don't want to think about it like, oh, I'm old. I should just give up. But I also don't want to deny the reality of, hey, things have changed a little bit. So how do I best capitalize on those? How do I deal with those? And so. You know, before we started recording, one of the things that, that you had talked about was kind of balances being the holy grail in midlife. And t- tell us a bit more about that. You know, how yeah. how can we use this idea of balance to have a great midlife? Yeah. So I think that when I was younger, possibly not the mistake I made, because I think this is very common and what all of us do really is that we can spend a lot of time trying to sort of think about being bigger better everything is is you know we're possibly very ambitious and we're thinking about we can get into this state of thinking that if we haven't had a super super productive day and we've been firing on all cylinders in all areas of our life that somehow we're not really achieving our full potential and what I've realized and what my philosophy for the for the books are is that actually in midlife your measure of success or for me and I think this is true of most people you realize a successful day is a day where you've managed to balance everything in your life so you've made the time to eat well you've made the time to exercise you've made the time to do something um, productive and interesting with your work. It might not be working 10, 12 hours a day like you used to, but you spent a few hours doing something productive, useful, either in your job or if you're a freelancer like me, I feel like I've engaged my brain. I've made time for my family. I've made time for my friends. I've maybe listened to a great podcast. So you get to the end of the day and you think, actually, that was such a good day because I kind of ticked all those boxes that I need to make me feel good come the end of the day. And so I took that same philosophy into the book. And I thought, well, if you think about losing weight and actually say the midlife method is a weight loss book, but I would say more it's a weight management book. So it's not really about I'm just going to do X, Y, Z. I'm going to not eat carbs for eight weeks and then I'm going to be. It's not that because that, in my view, is no not a balanced approach to weight management. Weight management has to be something that you think, how do I want to feel and possibly how do I want to look in a year's time, two years time, three years time, not how do I want to look in eight weeks time, which is the premise of a lot of weight loss books. And I also felt that losing weight is only half the equation. So it's not called the midlife diet, how to lose weight after 40. It's called the midlife method, how to lose weight and feel great after 40. Because weight loss when you're in midlife is not just about kind of trying to get into the lower, yeah, smaller dress size and look good on the beach in a, in a bathing suit. It, I mean, that's nice. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. 
But actually, for most people, it is about their health long term and being able to stay able to do the things they love to do for as long as possible. So exactly what you were saying about feeling like you're in optimum health so that you can, you know, maybe recover quickly, maybe doing all those things doesn't feel like it's taking quite such a toll on your body. And we do have to accept that when we hit midlife, our bodies are changing to a certain degree. And, and, you know, a lot of that's down to hormonal changes, both for men and women. The women, I could talk for a whole podcast on the menopause, but I'm not going to. And for men as well, you know, quite a lot of men experience testosterone decline and that can affect their energy levels and it can make them, I mean, they put on weight and all kinds of things. So we know all this stuff. So what are we going to do about it? Because we have to take a little bit of a different approach in midlife, I think. I don't think any of us wants to suddenly just do, you know, uh, so there's kind of depressing meal replacement shakes for three weeks. No one wants to do that. And also we want any changes we make to be long-term. So I looked across, you know, the first bit of research for the book was looking at what's really changing in our bodies and midlife. So there's the hormones we've spoken about. There's our metabolisms that you know, they slow down. It's scientifically proven that metabolism slow down for various reasons. Just our energy requirement is about 20% less by the time we get to 50 as it was in our 20s, 30s, and um, we start losing muscle mass. So we're burning less calories at rest. So there are good reasons for this all to be happening. But what can what can happen is if you take your eye off the ball, you suddenly find this weight accumulating around the middle and you may be not really doing anything particularly different. You know, you might feel like, well, hey, I, you know, I haven't been like on the junk food this week or this month any more than usual. And suddenly this kind of weight's appearing. So these these things are changing and we need to if we're going to manage our weight we need to address those things and not just eat fewer calories so i was keen that people understood that balanced approach you need to look at exercise you need to look at your sleep you need to look at your stress levels and how that's affecting you you need to look at your alcohol consumption and where that's taking you and and most people find they can't tolerate alcohol as well so that maybe need to take a different approach to that. And I wanted to bring all these things together and give people the tools to make tweaks to their lifestyle that they could then take forward, you know, more practical kind of things that they could do and not have any kind of extremes in there. I didn't want it to be one of these very restrictive programs where it's it's kind of difficult to weave into your ordinary life. I want I want people to be able to eat dinner with their family and eat the same food as their family, even if they're trying to lose weight and not be having to weigh things on scales and stuff. So I think it's quite a different approach. And I think it's an approach that we have to take in midlife. It's it's kind of a sensible approach. And it does bring in other things, other elements of the equation, like I was talking about exercise. And I think that, that although you can't really exercise your way out of a poor diet, which is what people say, it is quite an important part of the equation. And I don't know if you, if in midlife you've kind of upped your exercise, Brock, but my experience is that the people who are taking their health seriously in midlife are doing significantly more exercise than they perhaps were when they were younger. So from my own experience, I'm doing less now than I was in my 30s, mm-hmm. but focused on more now than perhaps I was in my 40s, where, you mm-hmm. know, got busy with kids and career and all of that. And, you know, that actually mirrors a lot of my life and my kids there just when I had time and, and, and those things. And, you know, I, I appreciate the approach that, that you're taking because, you know, it strikes me that 
we spent our 20s and 30s building our eating habits. So, you know, we've got two decades of food and exercise habits and then our bodies change and we've got all this, you know, 20 years of momentum behind us that then we have to do something different with, even if we were doing okay before. And, you know, I appreciate that you mentioned tweaks to lifestyle. So not an entire life overhaul, but just some things that we can do to better manage. And so what, what are some of those kind of the top tweaks that apply to most people that would help them see changes, help them feel better in life? Yeah. And so I have in the book, I mean, there's, there's a whole plan in the book that you can follow if you want to, but you don't have to. I mean, people respond psychologically different to weight loss. Some people need a very strict regime where they're being told what to eat. Some people just need to tweak things around the edges. Some people are somewhere in the middle. And so basically the book is probably 75% recipes. So really the food is kind of the focus. And a lot of people think associate weight loss with not eating, you know, eating less, restricting. And my, my philosophy is, no, it's got to be all about the food. What you've got to do is you've got to learn to enjoy those foods or find the foods that are good for you, that you enjoy eating. So the premise of the book is really switch that mentality around. So when you think about weight loss, you have to think about eating more of the stuff that's going to make you feel good. And healthy doesn't have to be stuff that you don't want to eat. Like kale, for example. Kale is like this health hero food. I hate kale. I don't want to eat kale. I just You don't have to eat something just because it's healthy. You can find the things that you like to eat that are healthy. So I think I've done that in the book. I've tried to make, it's the furthest thing away from diet food that you could possibly read. You know, you wouldn't pick this up and look at the recipes and think, oh my God, I'm going to be so hungry. Um, And so I think, first of all, it's to try and change that mindset on how you approach healthy food. And then I have a section called the, well, it's, it's basically about, again, changing your focus. So for example, one of the main tools, and I talk about this a lot in the book, is called eating with awareness. And I guess that has been called mindful eating in the past, but I think that can kind of have some sort of different connotations. People associate mindfulness with meditation and yoga and things like that. And it's not it's not that when applied to food, it's just eating with awareness. So it's actually making sure that every time you eat something, you're thinking about what you're eating, whether your body needs it, how it's going to make you feel and that's not to say that's not to prevent you from eating things that you shouldn't eat because you might actually say well yeah you know there's that slice of cake there I know it's not particularly good for me but I'm going to consciously make a choice to eat that because I want to eat that and that's perfectly valid as well but at least you're thinking about everything you choose to eat and it can actually really liberate you from food guilt. So rather than feeling guilty about eating thing, you're like, no, actually, I'm definitely choosing to eat that. It's not something you've just stuffed down mindlessly because, you know, you've got in and, you know, you're, you're sort of scuffling around in the kitchen trying to find something. It's a more considered way of eating. Um, and another practical thing I say to people, you know, if you can't really be bothered too much to think about diets and haven't got that much time to think about it, you can just eat 20% less across the board. Just think about this calorie thing I was talking about earlier, like your energy requirement being 20% less from when you're in your 20s, 30s. You can just try eating 20% less. And maybe if you combine that 20% less with the eating with awareness, then you start to motor, then you start to actually see some progress and some change. And so it's kind of just 
it's full of things like that you, that you can kind of pick and choose and think actually yeah I need to, I do need to do I do need to do a bit more of that you know I probably am eating a little bit too much just through sheer force of habit and that's something that I can really focus on this week so I suppose what a lot of what I'm talking about is people's psychology around food rather than just focusing on okay well I've got to have you know this breakfast this lunch this for dinner think about the way you approach food and what I say in the introduction to the book is that a lot of people can get to a certain point in their life and I certainly had where I had you know food had become the enemy I felt like everything was bad for me and it was full of fat and chemicals and I shouldn't be eating it and I felt guilty for eating it and I needed to change that way of thinking to make I say I make friends with food again because now everything I eat I enjoy I love it I like preparing it I don't feel guilty for eating it I've got enough basic nutrition knowledge that I know yeah, what I can have. Well, I mean, you can have everything, but the proportions of, of things, right? So right. I don't think anyone should be denying themselves anything if they love it. It's just understanding the ratios and the proportions of what you eat, really. Well, you had mentioned that, you know, a lot of us in midlife don't process alcohol as well, maybe. Uh, are there other things that maybe once we hit midlife, you know, our bodies just don't tolerate as much in general. I know every person's different, different mm. metabolisms and all of that, but in general, are there certain types of foods or certain things that just, Hey, we need to be aware of, cause we may not <laughs> work with them as yeah. well as we used to. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good question. Alcohol is obviously the obvious one. And I mean, yeah, I, I'm included. I've got this background in wine. Wine is probably the thing I love most in the world. And I absolutely cannot drink or would want to drink the quantities that I used to drink. So that, when it comes to alcohol, I, I definitely choose uh, quality over quantity these days. But on a more general point of what's happening in our bodies in midlife, yeah, I mean, everybody is different, but but certainly our gut health does deteriorate as we get older. So for example, we just become less efficient at extracting what we need from our food. So it's a bit of a double whammy because on the one hand you're having your your requirement for calories is less and on the other hand you are not as efficient at getting what you need from your food so you effectively need more nutrition from less calories so what you choose to eat becomes therefore more important and needs to be more nutrient dense and because of this deteriorating gut health you might find in midlife that you do experience more gut issues more you, know, you might suddenly develop a sort of a sensitivity to something. So that that's worth keeping an eye on. But on a more general point, you do need to take a little bit more care of your gut health because if the, the gut has been shown and, and new studies are coming out all the time, that it is kind of really the underpinning of our general health, our gut health. It's linked to brain health. It's linked to immunity. It's linked to all kinds of all kinds of things. So if you can get on top of your gut health, and actually this is, this is one of the main benefits I've noticed from changing the way that I eat and getting getting my health under control is that I used to suffer quite badly from IBS and I no longer do. And that's just been completely through diet and improving my gut health. So the main tip on that, I would say, is that if you want to start thinking about improving your gut health, you need to, the rule of thumb really is to try and eat 30 different plant-based foods a week. So plant-based foods would be obviously fruit and vegetables, that's obvious, but they plant proteins, beans, lentils, nuts, seeds, spices, herbs, 
things like that. So if you can aim to have 30 different plant-based foods a week, you're doing pretty well. And um, you know, if you if you break that down by seven, you can do the math and you know, just try and aim for that every every day. And that's actually a huge step forward. And it's quite a simple thing that anyone can anyone can do. So for so that's not 30 servings of vegetable a week. That's 30 completely different or exactly. Yeah. yeah. So of course there's these guidelines on having servings of vegetables, but you know, if if, if I look at my kids who have People always find this really funny that my kids were picky eaters. I mean, my son's 19 now and he's he's not at all. He's actually a really good eater now and very healthy. But as a kid, he was a horrible eater. And um, he probably did have portions of fruit and veg a day, but it was pretty much all peas. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it, that's the thing. It's, it's the diversity and the variety of the plant-based foods that is really the key for gut health. And yeah, there's a whole section on my book on gut health, because I think it does underpin so much of of our general health. Hopefully people will find that tip useful. And it's a little, maybe it's a little thing just to focus on for a couple of weeks and just see if it makes a difference. Yeah, no, that that's good to hear. For, for a while, I was trying to see how many different vegetables I could get in a salad. Like, you know, I think yeah. I got up to 10. So obviously I could do better, but yeah, well, that I, is I, I'd work to good. get to 10. That is pretty good. I mean, but once you get into this mindset, you know, now I sometimes sit down and go, wow, there's a lot of plant-based foods here. You know, like you say, I'm sort of, I've probably got 15 on my plate because I do things like I just have a tub of, of uh, spicy seeds. I have this thing in the book called Spicy Seeds Topper. It's just seeds with some spices and stuff that I have on the side. And I, I sprinkle that over everything. And so you're already adding another plant-based food to your eggs or your soup or whatever it is. So there's lots of little practical tips like that as well, or how can you just shoehorn more plant-based foods into what you're already eating? You know, sticking a can of lentils or beans into a pasta sauce, yeah, all, all this kind of thing. Um, it's not really rocket science, but it's just, like I say, eating with awareness. So thinking, oh, well, how can I actually increase the nutritional value of what I'm eating quickly, easily? And it's not, it, it it's relatively simple. And after a while, you, it becomes second nature and you just slowly start to eat more and more in that way. Well, before we wrap up today, I wanted to ask you about moderation because you had mentioned earlier that, you know, when we're young, it's all about bigger, faster, stronger. You go to the extremes and in midlife, as things change, uh, you, you'd mentioned balance earlier, but uh, you know, a part of balance is moderation. Why is moderation so important for, well, for mastering midlife? Yeah, it's it's not the sexiest thing, is it, moderation? And people are like, oh, well, this is your top tip, moderation. That sounds really dull and boring. You know, this is midlife. We should be going out there and climbing mountains and doing things like this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, if, that, if that's what you want to do, great. But I think for most people, it's a much more achievable, achievable target to be like, you know, well, I can really master midlife, you know, if I master moderation. And moderation is quite a difficult thing to master. I mean, when we're talking about alcohol, people will say, oh man, you know, drinking in moderation is great. You know, there've been certain health benefits even associated with light to moderate drinking, especially of red wine. They're like, yeah, but once I have that first glass, I can't do it. You know, it's, moderation isn't easy, actually. It can be easier to sign up for that marathon than to actually just make sure you do your weight training three to four times a week, which is what I would say is the moderate approach. You know, you might get to midlife and think, I'm just going to do the marathon because it 
all you have to do is okay you have to do all the training but you sign your name and then you do your training and you do your marathon but a i think an approach where you're doing extreme things in midlife can have knock-on effects you know we are more prone to being injured and you know if you're going to go off and do an iron man and you haven't done your training properly you know you, you could actually injure yourself it might take you a long time to recover it might set you back on loads of other things it might not and everybody is different but i just feel that if you accept moderation as being actually a pretty important goal you don't feel so useless about not running marathons and not doing extreme things and not doing the this very extreme keto diet where you're going to lose 30 kilos in three weeks so i would say kind of forget about the extremes focus on what you're doing day to day to day and try and get all those boxes ticked so on the moderation with the food that's the eating with awareness do i really need to eat this I don't really need to eat this. I'm not going to eat this. Or yeah, you know, today I've done a ton of exercise and I really want to eat that. Yeah, I'm going to eat that. You, you know, that's your mastery, your moderation for the food. With the alcohol, you can be like, yeah, it's a Monday, Tuesday. I'm, I'm not going to drink. Okay, it's Wednesday. I'm halfway through the week. I'm going to have that. I'm going to have that glass of red wine now. That's actually quite hard. That takes, that takes quite a lot of practice and quite a lot of self-discipline, actually. And going back to the exercise piece, the one thing I found really, really helpful in midlife that I never used to do was strength training. And I'm sure probably other, other of your guests have maybe spoken about this that you know if you're looking to change up your exercise in midlife the one thing that's really important to do is strength training because it helps support your muscle mass and your metabolism and things we've spoken about so I would really encourage people to do the strength training it doesn't have to be pumping iron in a gym it can just be hand weights at home it's you know it's not we're not talking about bodybuilding here we're just talking about three or four times a week picking up some hand weights you know and, and doing a little routine on YouTube or something again you know you say strength training and people think, oh, my God, you know, I have to have to change my whole life. You don't really. It's just making these little tweaks and not putting too much pressure on yourself in any one area of your life. I suppose that's the midlife moderation. And so it sounds like it certainly includes and you mentioned this before. It includes all areas. Mm-hmm. So I don't know when we we're younger, at least I did, you know, focus on one thing. So focus on exercise or focus on diet. But you also mentioned, yeah, it's a little bit of exercise, a little bit of diet, a little bit of your sleep hygiene, you know, how well are you sleeping? Um, All the, all the little different pieces, even just, you you mentioned kind of, you know, thinking about success in our day, perhaps being, yeah, we did some good stuff. We moved some stuff forward. We're happy with our progress. Not I achieve the ultimate every single day. Just putting that huge pressure on yourself to be productive all the time. Like actually there's some value in not being productive. There's some value just in kind of like now I can just sit down, have a coffee and think about something. And I feel like, oh, that that was a really good use of my time. That wasn't a waste of my time. (laughs) So I think a lot of it is mindset. So maybe what we're talking about here really is the midlife mindset. A lot of it comes down to that, doesn't it? And I think, I think that's really where, where I've changed and, how I've kind of expressed that is through food and health writing, but for different people, it will take a different path. But I think it's just giving yourself the space to kind of think a little bit differently. Well, where can people find you? Obviously they can track down your books, wherever they buy books. Yes. Well, if you want to find more about the midlife method, you can buy the midlife method on Amazon and online retailers. I'm not sure if it's in bookshops in the U S but it's certainly online. And if you want to, 
if before you buy the book, you just want to find out a bit more about me and my message and whether you think it's something that you want to follow up, I've got a blog called midlifemethod.co.uk. And there's lots of stuff on there and lots of recipes, all that kind of stuff. And then obviously Instagram is the big one because I'm, I'm doing food and that's the, that's the home of uh, food photography. So I'm on um, Instagram at Midlife Kitchen. So people can find me there as well. Excellent. Well, I mean, we've talked about a lot today. Any kind of final thoughts or advice for people as we wrap up? I suppose I would say, think about that thing about that midlife reinvention. And if there's anything that you've been thinking about inside, like most of us have a little bit of an idea of something we want to do and we can sometimes hold ourselves back and you know, maybe just spend a bit of time today thinking about that and thinking about how you can just move it forward a little bit. You know, is there somebody you know in the field? Is there someone who might know someone? Is there someone you can talk to to discuss your idea? Quite often we keep our ideas inside and we don't really express them or talk to other people about them. But once you do, they can actually start to build up a bit of a life of their own. And then before you know it, you're talking to Brock Edwards on a podcast. Well, that seems like a, a good place to, to wrap up. And, and I would echo those thoughts that some of the, the magic moments in my life has certainly come from just putting ideas out there, connecting with people and seeing where they go. Definitely. Definitely. So Sam, great having you on today. Great talking about kind of the, just this different approach to thinking about mm-hmm. midlife and, and how just that mindset needs to shift so that, you know, our habits, our practices can, can shift as well. And, you know, some practical things that we can do about it. So really appreciate you being on today. Great. It's been really good to talk to you. And uh, yeah, I'm still pretty amazed that you're in Texas and I'm in Singapore. I'm loving that. (laughs) Technology is a wonderful thing sometimes. Absolutely. All right. That's it for today. Thanks for joining. Now, if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on lovethepodcast.com forward slash midlife mastery. That's lovethepodcast.com forward slash midlife mastery. So by doing so, this helps others find the show and lets me know what you enjoy most so I can continue making it even better. Until the next time, play bigger, do better, move the world. Let's get started.